welcome to the Steve-O and Goody podcast. We just want to take an opportunity this real quick to welcome you to our very first episode. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the trials and tribulations of a couple of particularly good looking hunters. <laughs> Traipsing around the Australian bush. Too young, very good looking and tall. Yeah, tall. <laughs> Freakishly tall. <laughs> Americans who are trapped down in the and uh, our experiences living over here and hunting here and elsewhere around the world. We're going to get on with that today, so stay tuned. It's the Steve Owen Goody Show, live from... Well, we're not really live. We're not even close to live. In fact, by the time you're hearing this, we may even be dead. (laughs) It's true. Today's podcast is brought to you by our wonderful new sponsor, Hungry Jacks. Actually, they're not even close to a fucking sponsor. They want nothing to do with this podcast. In fact... I'm sure we're going to get a cease and desist order just by mentioning their name. <laughs> Are we recording? We are recording. So tell me about your midlife crisis. So, you know how I switched degrees, mm-hmm. right? Well, I went to my first lectures yesterday, which was English minor. Okay. And, uh, you speak English. I do English. I do speak English. I speak American English. Which hey, Aaron, mate. Which is apparently different than, hey, what can do, mate? What? I found out that my new class has like a stack of reading that's like six novels to eight, okay. eight novels I have to read in 12 weeks plus other readings. And I'm like, okay. I don't read that well. <laughs> I mean, I can read. I can read. Don't get me wrong. I can read. But I can't read 12 novels in 12 weeks. Okay. Right. That, that's not me. That's not you. So then I'm like, should I just switch my minor? And then I'm like, to what? And I've been tossing up archaeology. Because I'm like, Take it's fun. Indiana Jones. You get to fake, you get the yeah, whip. That's right. You get the rolling that's right. boulder coming out. That's you. right. And I'm a history. Why would you do it? There's absolutely no practical application. To and I'm a history major, so they go well together. Uh, so you're going to be the head waiter at the restaurant. <laughs> you're done. You realize. <laughs> right? You realize. So, hey, I've got a, a history major with an archaeology. Great. Can you come in at noon for the the afternoon, the lunch shift? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you realize it. that. That's it. That's it, actually. No, well, uh, I've been having conversations with a bunch of teachers, and um, they're like, go English, don't go archaeology, because what are you going to do with that in a primary school? <laughs> I'm like... Okay, little kiddies. You know when you pick up that rock in your yard and you throw it at the cat? That's actually granite. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, that's... What? That's geology. Geology. Eh, same thing. Are we gonna? <laughs> anyway, let's talk about hunting. Let's talk about hunting. So you recently came back from a hunting trip. Your first Australian hunting trip. I, I did. Uh, it wasn't my first Australian hunting trip, actually. It was my like tenth. But uh, where have you been hunting? Um, I did the deer hunt last year up north Adelaide, north of Adelaide, north. Oh, well, that was at the zoo. Yeah, it's a bit tough. I mean, the... <laughs> I mean, they, not as free range as we would have liked. It was near a zoo. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. so, so did they tether the animal down before you yeah. shot it? or was There it were like, no fences crossed. Yeah, so. It was free range. I thought that was your zoo. first time. What? Is that your first animal killed, though? Uh, but I didn't kill that one, no. The, it was a like a yearling doe. And I, oh, okay. And I let her go. Yes. And just leave it laying yeah, down. I'm like, I want it's you to sweet, come delicious back. meat, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm like, oh, that's a yeah. that's a yearling doe. That means you can have babies. Yes, and <laughs> produce more deer, and we babies. can shoot everything. That's right. And so so tell us about your trip, because this is the trip you went to the Flinders on. 
was your yep was that your first set of kills in Australia? Uh, no, it was my first set of um, larger game kills. Oh, you're not going to count like I shot a fucking bunny in the yard, are you? <laughs> hey, wow. Hey, look at that. Hip, yeah. Hippity hop. No bunnies Can in the yard. Can we count, eye. not count fucking rabbits no as hunting, please? Okay. That's the new rule. Not, hey, I shot a rabbit. It, it, big fucking deal. I'm talking properly. <laughs> Am I wrong? No, but you know what I mean, right? Like, because we, we get into this thing about, well, I went hunting. And, and you're getting all excited. And the guy's like, yeah, I shot, you know, four rabbits you know, in a fox. Right. Yeah. And let me guess, you did it at night in a spotlight. Yeah, it was great. Really challenging. However, that's also one of the only places people can get access to in South Australia, which is a whole other thing, a whole other can of worms. We'll talk, yeah. Sorry. So tell us about your first big game hunt. I feel like uh, I've grown a beard since we started. My first Australian, (laughs) let me rephrase, my first Australian big game hunt was this weekend, and it was good. Where did you go? We went to the Flinders Ranges. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, private land hunting. Um, How yeah, big was the property? Big. <laughs> big. I don't want to tell anybody so, where I'm at. Yeah. <laughs> nobody's okay. They don't right. need to know where no, I'm at. No, let's say, don't give them the address. I'm just giving us a sense of, what, 100 acres, 1,000 hectares? What's the... Oh, yeah, 250,000. Okay. Yeah. Right. So a small chunk of land. A little, just a small... A little hobby farm. Okay. A hobby farm, yeah. And... Um, yeah, so I went out with a buddy of mine um, and did some work for his dad. And uh, his dad said, hey, why don't you come out, come hunting with us? And so I said, yeah, let's do that. So mm-hmm. we, we, we sorted it out. And uh, we were supposed to be on for, you know, four to six days. And, you know, some things happened. So we left late and then we ended up coming home early. So we were actually only there for, you know, two days. So, yeah, it was pretty pretty good. And did you, um, did you see a lot of game there? Tons. What was it, mostly goat? Mostly goats, uh, a lot of rabbit, more fox than rabbit. Actually. Uh, we've had this rule. We're not talking about rabbits. It's okay. <laughs> but it was part of the hunt. Yeah. So. Hey, I got a rabbit. Oh, good on you. Great. You know, <laughs> it's one of those things when property owners let you come onto the property. Yeah, you gotta like, clean up. Please kill those. So <laughs> if you tell us. So you were successful. How many animals did you get in the end? Uh, I personally took six goats. Okay. And over a couple of days. Yep, six goats and two rabbits. Okay. Which I. Brought home and the rabbits have already been eaten. Good, excellent. Yeah, so. you didn't count them as part of the count, so that's good for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well. So you got that. six goats. Is that what you got? Yeah, I, sh- I personally shot six goats. Okay. Meat goats. I wasn't after billies. I wanted to fill the freezer. So. Okay. So you filled the freezer. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about how you think that compares to your a comparable hunting experience in the U.S. Because part of our theme here is to try to compare the two different hunting scenes. Well, a lot less pressure here. Um, at least where we were. Uh, they were a bit skittish down on the ground, but once you got up to a higher elevation, which really wasn't that high, they weren't skittish at all. Yeah. So that was, uh, that, was a, that was a big part of it. I don't know, like, compared to like white tails in like Michigan or mm-hmm. Ohio, you know, they're skittish all the time. You know, you, you snap a twig and they're gone. These guys, you snap a twig and they come over to find out what's going on. Yeah. You know? What I found challenging hunting goat in that area is particularly when it's sunny out, a lot of times they're ear tags and the bells around their neck glisten in the sun. <laughs> <laughs> and it makes it a lot more difficult yeah. to find, to aim properly. Oh, you're over behind uh, Old McDonald's. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And the sign that says petting zoo provides a really good spot to state wait for the game. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, how big were the mobs that you saw? 
Um, I think they averaged about 25. There were some smaller ones. I think the smallest one I saw, I saw a, a random long goat. Um, but for the most part, they were mobs of eight or more. Okay. But the average is about 20 to 25. So tell us about your hunting gear then. We're bow hunting. Um, so I shoot the Elite Impulse. Oh, wow. I didn't right. know people still shot those bows. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's good that you're going back, man. You're really, you're really. You I know. am part Native American. Yes, so, that's right. So sure, it's, it's just that that <laughs> yeah. drop in the cup of coffee. And... <laughs> you're as Native American as I am, fucking tall. And for those of you that can't hear us, I'm not tall. Yeah, well, go on. That. So, oh, we'll, so we'll you're shooting the Kmart bow. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I think it's really great that you're dropping, shooting a private label bow. I think it's you know you're giving the Chinese good business. <laughs> <laughs> So you're shooting the elite bow. I'm shooting elite. Yep. Uh, what am I using? I used um, Easton infused Easton. axis. Okay. With the nanotechnology and all that. Cheap arrow, isn't it? Yeah, super cheap. Yeah. Super super. What cheap. do they cost in the end? What's? Um, at the moment, uh, I think they're a bit cheaper in the U.S. But Australia price, they're about one forty a dozen. Right. Yeah, they're not Jeez. cheap, but they they last forever, and I love the way they shoot in the wind, and they're always consistent for me. I've had some issues with some of the other brands <laughs> which yeah i might leave careful <laughs> yeah 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 so. so but the problem is if we should shoot in that something that expensive yeah you, well, you lose, there, especially was, in a, on mm, a yeah i was shooting them with uh, muzzy broadheads just 100 gram broadheads geez. that i brought back from the states you know i figured well if they're good enough for whitetail they're good enough for goats because they're pretty thin-skinned yeah. you know yeah goats are pretty thin-skinned yeah we'll so. talk a little bit about yeah, arrowheads lighter. Yeah, well, I think that'll be an entire podcast. Yes, that's it. Because <laughs> there's a whole today lot today. We're here to talk about <laughs> two blades versus three versus four versus, versus the solid versus, versus fluted yes, versus it. your mom. Yeah, because <laughs> that's about that's about where the conversation will go with every group of bow hunters. I've never been at a hunting camp, an archery club, a party, uh, a forum on the internet where the conversation around which broadheads are best doesn't eventually denigrate to somebody's mother being insulted <laughs> well there right, is that right? i mean it, it yeah, will yeah. get there eventually like it's probably i reckon within i think in a camp like face to face i think within 15 minutes somebody's mother's getting insulted um in a thread on a forum within a page of threads like within oh, yeah. a page of posts within the day yeah. within 24 hours yeah oh, oh, less than that i, I mean I, particularly I think within, on yeah. an archery forum yeah yes <laughs> Co -hunters down under. i've been on a long time because I'm a member, but it's generally started off pretty good. I mean, it started like 10 years ago, and it's actually good, but again, it invariably, there's always I, I see the thread that says, you know, which broadhead is best, and I just basically, you might as well put in brackets, I'm going to insult your parentage at some point, let's get started, right? Because it goes, it's deeply personal, they take it more seriously than their religion or yeah, their yeah. politics or their football yeah. team. So. They're opening up, they're, they're, they're almost bringing it out there just to cause... Yeah. A fight. In fact, I, I may have been guilty of that. <laughs> I'm a little bored today. What's Let's... your favorite broadhead, <laughs> Hey, I think two blades suck. <laughs> what do you guys think? And the next thing you know... Oh. Anyway, so getting back. So you so you brought the, the Kmart bow, the, the, the high-end arrows, yeah. the ridiculous American broadheads. The ridiculous American broadheads that shooting, Australians found out I was shooting here at an animal. They'd be like, what are you doing? Yeah, that's right. And I'd be that's like, it. well, I'm getting pastures and killing everything in five steps. Yeah. So, so, that being said, 
No, it was it was really hard. Uh, I, I learned a valuable lesson actually hunting up there because uh, it's all rock shales and very little full foliage up there. So there's really nothing soft yeah. when you do a, a pass through. So I I've kind of I kind of have my gear set up. I I try to get pass throughs because I like a pass through. Mm. I just figure it's better blooding and you know it's yeah. not going to seal around the wind around That's the arrow. It. And I want it to go through if I can. Well, mm. And I was lucky. I didn't have a single one not pass through. Yeah. However, on the other side of that, once it passed through, it hit the rocks and the shales yeah, on the and the ground. Just, and, and there's no, there's no res, reviving the arrow. Like the arrow's completely shot at that. Actually, surprisingly, my arrows are have very little damage to the actual arrow. Oh, okay. The, the heads broad are, heads are, are wasted. Gone. I've, yeah. I've got. I'll, I'll show you some. I've got them here later. Yeah. yeah. No, that's but, uh, yeah. I, what I find is the. Um, it's broadheads are pretty mangled. Uh, the Australian heads that I use, and this is where, again, notwithstanding the insulting of someone's parentage by the time we get end, end of this discussion. But I think the uh, the benefit of a lot of Australian heads is I think they're generally built for these conditions and they work on the assumption that if you go through an animal and you're going to hit something, it'll be rock or shale or something. So there's a couple of brands that I've typically found that work well. I think they also are more cost-effective generally. Usually the Australian heads that I've seen generally tend to be cheaper because they don't have to be shipped from the US. They're shipped straight from China. <laughs> so yeah. you don't have to yeah, go I through love the it. American I market. love it. Another thing, just not, not to get too far off topic, but um, every time um, I look online about, you know, asking a question about broadheads or whatever, you know, there's always like 15 Australians that will jump up and goes, you got to buy this one. You got to buy this one, mate. You got to buy this one. Why? They're made in Australia. Because it's Australian. And I'm like, it's Chinese. Yeah, and, it, and they're actually not. Because I know I, I know one very prominent broadhead maker, and we'll maybe have him on the show in another episode. Hmm. Um, Didn't he make he your makes arrows too? What's this? Doesn't he make your arrows too? He does make the arrows as well. They're, mm-hmm. they're pretty good. I mean, so far they've seemed to be flying okay. I, I've typically shot gold tips because, well, let's be honest, fucking cheap. <laughs> <laughs> So, again, when I'm ready to compete in the Olympics, maybe I'll step up a notch. But the gold tips to historically I've used, either the 5575 or the, I think, what are they called now? The 400s or the whatever. 400 spines. And then the other ones was the, the 300 spine. So the, the, the more medium kind of one and then the heavier one. And what I found is initially they were quite cheap, right? Mm. Like they were, at the time, 70 or 80 bucks a dozen plus the inserts. Um and what I found is they were fine for me. Like they had all the pass through I wanted. They were durable. And when they weren't durable, like when they hit a bone that, or did something or broke when an animal ran or whatever, I didn't care, right? They were yeah, cheap yeah. enough. And they were accurate out to where I shoot that we're not talking about, you know, I, I, there wasn't a performance issue. It's not like I'm shooting at 90 meters into a coffee cup, right? Like I'm just not going to do that. So, no, it's interesting. So getting back to your hunt. So you... Back to the hunt. You had the... The silly, <laughs> silly arrows. <laughs> and um, and did you get pass-throughs in everything you shot? I did. Every single shot. And how many arrow, How many broadheads did you lose in the end? Six? Uh, four. Out of six. Oof. Ouch. Four out of six. Mm. I only shot five arrows, though. Oh, because you had to... I had a pass-through and a, one goat stepped up over the ridge right behind him while the arrow was in flight. And you got them both? Yeah, double lung harder than both. It was just it was a fluke, but that's nice. That's but nice. yeah, I had one. I actually had one arrow pass through, and I'm not sure exactly what happened, but mm-hmm. it was just I just found it laying on top of everything without any damage at all. Yeah, and that I've, was a mechanical. See, that's incredible. I was surprised about yeah. that. I see, I'm generally not a big fan of pass throughs. My my experience with pass throughs is 
when you get a pass through, both sides of the guts pop out. So you're... <laughs> so it's just a real... That's because you're taking the Texas heart shot. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Right? No, I like to, well, I like to gut shoot them just to get them to suffer a little bit. And then, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it raises an ethical question that will talk about. <laughs> no, no, because it's funny because I've had a lot of heard a lot of discussion about the the need for a pass-through versus penetration mm-hmm. and I, I agree with you generally i think a pass-through is always good i'm not sure that's necessary um and particularly when you get to animals like pigs i think it's harder and harder to get past well, it's not impossible i've I mean, done it i think everybody's done it i see what you're saying i mean for me i don't i'm not necessarily like i don't care if it doesn't pass through if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I want my bow fast enough that if I hit the right spot, it's going to pass through. Yeah. Not going to just stop in the middle and yeah. continue. Like, like I don't know. I think a lot of thing that most people don't really think about is where the vitals are on individual animals. Yeah. You know, there are some animals you can do a clean shot behind the shoulder and blow through the heart and both lungs mm. with a pass through. Perfect. Like a goat, you can manage. You can do yeah. that. Yeah. Your view is that the animals are a little less skittish. Well, particularly goats. I mean, goats are kind of the, hmm. let's be honest, they're kind of the entry-level hunting animal here. They really right? are. Right? Like, if you think about they it. They really are. Most people that have their first crack at an Australian animal, whether they're new to the Australian scene as adults, so I was, mm-hmm. so I came 20 years ago, the first kind of animal that I hunted was a goat, was in a goat property, and was able to knock over a few. They, have, they actually happen to have pigs in that property as well, so I took some there, but most people generally start. Or if you're young and up and coming and you want to hunt, you know, your first as a teenager yeah. or a young kid, you generally knock over a goat first. Generally. Yeah. I mean, there, there are some things about them that are quite challenging, some things that aren't. And I think that I think that they're a really good first animal, particularly if you're wanting to learn spot and stalk. Yeah. Because yeah. they're hard to get close to. Yeah. Yes. They have very good eyesight. Yeah, very good eyesight. So. They can do some dumb shit, though. Like, I've, I've seen animals get spooked, run up 200 meters, and circle back to the other side of you. Yeah. And you're like, hold on, where's pigs? I think generally, like are like deer, go in a straight line. Like yeah. they're they're gone, they're gone. Generally. So our, our first day out, you know, I I never goat hunted in Australia before, so these guys were pretty seasoned. So I went out with them, and I just kind of did whatever they said to do, and mm-hmm. just being the nice guy and just you know following them and learning the ropes from them. And uh, so the way that they hunted was a little bit different than the way I'd ever hunted before. Mm. They just kind of. Walked around creek beds and stuff like that and trying to you know, find the goats. And then once they found them, try and sneak up on them. Well, I found that they saw us before we saw them anyway. Yeah. yeah. And so that's that's not really my style of hunting. Um, I don't I don't actually do spot and stalk. I do spot and ambush. Mm. Mm. So I like to see where they're going and then try and get there before get they do. Them, yeah. And then get in a good shooting position. One of the criticisms that I've, I've, because I've been in Australia now for 20 years, this is my actually 20 year anniversary, and the <laughs> Department of Immigration hasn't kicked me out yet, so I'm Congratulations. Right. Yes. Yeah. You're a citizen now? Yeah, I've been a citizen for a long time. Oh, yeah. Me too. Yes. So I was, me uh, too. I'm dual, I'm bi. Okay. <laughs> so, um, two bad guys. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should call that the podcast. Two, two bad guys. guys. Yeah, I think we'll get a whole different demographic. Steve Owens, Goody, Goody, the two bad guys. <laughs> I, I really think the nature of the audience will change significantly. <laughs> um, so if I think about... We're just diversifying. Yeah, that's it. Opening up hunting to the broader community. That's right. Right, diversity in the audience. Cultural capital. That's it. Um, so if we think about the big difference that I saw in hunting, and that I, I, a lot of criticism that I would get from Australian hunters about the American style of hunting generally, and again, I'm, I'm talking more broadly 
east, eastern, northeastern, tree stands, tree stands and blinds, and particularly tree stands. And the the argument, I think it's a fair one, right, is to say, well, wait a minute, you know, is that as challenging? Is that as difficult? You know, is that really hunting? I used to get those kind of comments, and I and I understand where their criticism comes from because if you think about how most Australian hunters hunt, it's spot and stalk, Hmm. really. But at the same time, I appreciate that. You want me to edit that out? You know, that's that dare coffee coming out. It's got three natural ingredients, and I've just tasted two of them. <laughs> so um, the fair assessment is that when you spot and stalk, what you're essentially doing, and what you're, you would have found your guys doing, is I think they would have been trying to figure out where the game is and where it's going and pattern it, while at the same time trying to kind of get close enough to get a shot off. Whereas stand hunting... And I haven't done a whole lot of it because I didn't do as much hunting in the U.S. as I would have liked when I lived there. But I've obviously gone back and hunted there. And, I, and I've and i got a horrible fear of heights. So I, I'm not particularly good in a stand. So I generally do blind hunting. Oh, yeah, so um, I heard about your Ohio hunt. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I was like, guy, guy finally got me up like in a 10-foot stand. And I I basically froze. It was terrible. But anyway, but I, but I blind hunted on the ground. So it just kind of offset that. But the difference is what you're doing is patterning the game at an earlier stage in the process, then you're going there and doing essentially what you did. Is you you figured out where they're going and then try to ambush them. And I think that there's a lot of challenge there. Also, too, what, particularly when you're sitting on a stand and you've got an animal like a deer that's hyper alert, hmm. that is absolutely, you know, aware of predators, particularly that time of year when everybody's hunting and all that stuff. And there's pressure. And, and there's pressure and all the rest of it. I, I think standing still is bloody hard. It's easy to kind of think of it as, oh, I'm going to, you know, kick back, do a couple bong hits, shoot the deer when it walks by. But actually what I found, particularly when I was up in the stand, is every time you move, you, the stand creaks, something moves, or, and, and the whole area was kind of aware of it. So you really had to kind of be a lot more physically disciplined than you think you would be. Hmm. Um, I also found that the the, the ambush-style hunting, the blind hunting... Um, you kind of had less control over how you could get into the animal or spot and stalk. What I find, spot them, get into a point, and depending on what distance you are away, you've got opportunity to, okay, I'll get behind this rock or I'm going to go down at this bush, but shit, I need to kind of course correct and then shift left for 30 meters and kind of go around behind. Whereas you don't really get that with stand hunting or with, you are stationary and you have to figure out kind of beforehand which way they're likely to come in and you lose the shot right so if you've got something coming front on you're stuck in a stand you don't have the ability to kind of shift over a bit while they're coming into you or move a different way so i think they're just but i get the australian mindset that it's not as challenging a hunt it's not i think i think some of that is because quite frankly they've never been there no of course yeah and they don't realize what we're hunting in it's it doesn't look like it does here it's the, the woods look different than yeah. the bush. I, well, uh, it's funny. I went spot and stalking for pigs in Ohio. Yeah. I, I said to the guy I was hunting with, a really lovely guy, Scott Marlowe. Fanta- he used to guide. He, he stopped guiding now. Really lovely guy. And I remember saying, because oh, you know, again, I was, I was really struggling with the tree stands. So I did a bit of spot and stalk. And northeast Ohio, middle of a forest, what do you have in the ground? Two inches of leaves. Try spot and stalking in there. Crunch, crunch, crunch. I mean, mate, it, it, it sounds... I might as well, might as well brought a fucking accordion. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, so, whereas here it doesn't seem to be that way. You yeah. seem to be able to kind of walk through yeah. 
the the undergrowth doesn't the undergrowth doesn't seem to come up that much unless yeah. there's been a fire. Yeah, and that struggle. Yeah. Oh man, I can't. There's no such thing as spot and stalking in a fire zone. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I tried. That's why we tried last year. Yeah. Where yeah, I let that deal go, and I was just like, man. Yeah. It's just it was like loud. One step yeah. and you're crunching and loud, and it's like, man, you can hear it. Echoing. What I what I think though, if I can be objective about it, I think spot and stalking helps your your hunting discipline though. Mm. Probably in some ways that stand hunting doesn't. I, I find that you really become a lot more aware of your place in the environment when you're doing it. So mm. in terms of you see an animal maybe 150 meters away and you say, okay, I'm going to stalk that deer or pig. Usually it's pig, probably more than a deer or goat for that matter. But, and you think, okay, I'm now going to have to be aware of my surroundings. I'm going to have to really, like my senses get a lot more honed. And I think the, because you don't have a choice. Like, you're not... I mean, let's be honest. You can make some more mistakes in a stand than you can stalking, I think. Right? For example, I'm sitting in a stand. It's, what, 15 feet up. And I kind of turn around and make a little bit of movement. I think you've got a little bit more margin for error. Not much, but more margin for error than if you are spot. You know, you're stalking a fallow deer. And you make too much movement and it's going to be on eye level with you. And it's going to see and it's going to go. Yeah, right. Yeah. Now that being said, I'm not saying it's easy. I, I, I've learned very quickly that it's not, and I've I've had less wins than losses in the stand hunting department. So I can't, mm. you know, I can't say that it's easy to do. Certainly not. Yeah, it's not. And like just like anything else, I mean, I don't think anybody never done something is qualified to yeah, determine what something is. Kind of like Joe Rogan says about. An anti-hunter is just as just as qualified as I am to discuss you know, lesbian porn because I saw a video on the internet. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, that's it. No, no, that's and, right. Which I don't even know if that was actually him, but it's a meme yeah. with his face on it. Yeah. I saw on Facebook one day. And um, it, it's a whole different kettle of fish. I mean, what the big difference is is like when you're spotting and stalking, you're covering a large area of ground. Yeah. Whereas when you have a tree stand, you've got a... 30 yard or 25 meter they have to come to you right? they have You've to come to you the spot you know? where they're going to come to you that's... And, it, and you don't even have a 360 shot i mean you've no, got right. you've got a 15 degree angle really yeah. that you can get a safe comfortable shot out of yeah so you've got yeah. a, i would say that it takes a lot more work to do stand hunting yeah a lot more pre-planning a lot of pre-planning a lot of uh a lot of scouting mm. you got to kind of know where things are you got to know what trails they're hitting you mm. kind of got to know where their water supply is you got to know where their food supply is um, and what a lot of people don't realize is those things change mm. every year. I mean, they might hit the same place yeah. a couple of years in a row, but it's, it's not every year. Yeah. And it does change. And so just getting it in the right spot. But the other thing that people don't think about as well is, you know, here, if you're hunting on a private property, it's likely a good-sized property. Mm. Whereas yeah. in the U.S., you might be deer hunting from a bow stand on your 10 acres. Yeah. No, that's right. You know? And you can't spot and stalk that. And you can't pot and stalk that, No. No. And, um, but the, but the bigger question though is, is what's a lot harder for spot or for stand hunting, sorry, is when you want to tether the animal down before you shoot it, that's you right. have to bring it into the stand you know, area. I, I, like to, I, like, I like to just tether mine to the ladder. Yeah. Well, I just find that's a lot easier, right? When you're spot and stalking, mate, getting that animal tethered before you shoot it. That's right. <laughs> you know, it's a little bit harder, you know? 
And especially but, when you drug them first. With, then you... <laughs> but, but of course, you know, you drug them first and then, then you tie them to a tree and then it's easier for spot stock because then you get, then you can feel like you're a bit more of a hunter because you can yeah. meander through the woods. Yeah, that's right. You, I mean, you've like, really got to stay quiet, but if you make a mistake, it gives you a mark. Yeah. <laughs> then you get, you know, and, you're, and in your mind, you're, you're all yeah. of a sudden, you're from South Africa and you're like... Oh, I'm like a looky panther, over right? there. There's a <laughs> <laughs> look at that. So you can hey, come from a lot of different angles. And look, and, and it's really helpful if you get there before the animal wakes up, right? <laughs> from the drugs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just kidding, folks. We support yeah. ethical fair chase hunting here. That's true. That's so, true. Um, okay, so if if you, you had a good time, then yeah, the we had a great time. Um, One out of ten. What would you rate it? Oh, out of hunting experiences in Australia, I'd, I'd call it a 10. Okay. Because um, right. it was the best hunting experience I've had here. Okay. Okay. And I reckon it would probably be in my... I've hunted a lot in a lot of places, and I reckon it'd probably be in my top 10. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, just because you're mm-hmm. with and the area that you're yeah, in. Yeah. and I mean, it was cold, but it wasn't... We, we, we got a nice weekend. I mean, yeah, so it's it good. was, you know, 18, cool. 18 degrees during okay. the day, nice. you know, with light, it was kind of windy, but it wasn't bad, you know, okay. um, I didn't have to put any of my heavy hunting clothes on Oh, okay. and I was really surprised. I mean, we yeah. got, we got, we had some freezing overnight, but it was gone by nine, you know, okay. um, okay. yeah, it got a bit cold in the evening, but, um, yeah, but I, I think it was nice cause I mean, it was another first, first goat. Um, first time on this property, first time hunting with some new friends and, um, made some really, you know, good, good friends out of the whole deal and, um, got to experience the true outback (laughs) language of true outback Australians. Yes. We'll have a new podcast to translate from American to Australian or Australian to American. Yeah. yeah. Well, that one will have a parental advisory. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And a lot of bleeps in that show. A lot of bleeps in that show. And, um... Yeah, so I think that was really good, and it was nice to get um, my first, and I got a little skunked in the morning, because I wasn't used to their style of hunting, and, mm-hmm. and they had all taken, you know, two each in the morning, yeah. and I got nothing, and I didn't get anything till the evening, when it was when I sat back, and we got back to camp, and uh, having lunch and stuff, cause after they got theirs, so we drug them back and started quartering them out, and getting the meat all cleaned up on them, and I sat back in a camp chair, and I just started glassing this peak with my, my binos, and just kind of watched them I said look I, I reckon that's the spot to be and that's what I did I said I'm gonna, I'm gonna head up there at night and took one of the boys up there with me and mm-hmm. and we limited out so to speak yeah. we limited out what we could carry down that was for sure wow okay. and uh, yeah so we got a freezer full of goat mm. and what the other thing too you talk about limiting out is the other thing I find amazing here is the no limits no limits or seasons, or seasons. Uh, there isn't some in, in Victoria, Victoria yeah, with the hog season. deer and stuff like that. But and I think I've got a feeling, and I, I'd have to check on this. But New South Wales, the Game Council, it's new name now. I think there's some limits around when you can hunt, but don't hold me on that. But other than really the hog deer in Blonde Bay, and I think there's another spot where they do the lottery. There's no. I think there's here. some some there's bar, no seasons here. Some bar season in Victoria. I believe. Yeah, there is, because there's, but I think, because yeah. I remember looking into a Vic license, because I was doing a lot of project work for a client at the time in Victoria, and there was an opportunity to go into Gippsland to hunt mm. in the Sambar there. And I, I've got a feeling, like, you've got to get a permit or license or something. You can get an out-of-state license, but I don't know if there's a season as such, or if there was, I can't, I, I honestly have to look Yeah, it. I know. But every, the point is, compared to every yeah. state in the U.S., like, the only thing I'm aware of in the U.S., that doesn't have limits 
would be hogs like in Florida and Texas. In the South, I think you can pretty, in America, and actually Ohio as well, I think you can hunt hogs all year round. I don't think there's a limit. Yeah, they just want them gone. They just want them gone. Yep. And I've got a feeling like coyotes or something, there's some states where you can shoot them all year round. But everything else is a, is a season. And, um, and I've never really understood why the various state governments haven't instituted a hunting regime or revenue no. raising. And a, New South Wales has done it a little bit and Vic has done it a little bit. But it's a weird kind of mindset here. I think they look at any, any animal that's not native or livestock, as in cattle, sheep, whatever, mm. as bad. It's just inherently bad. So if I think about it, it's um it's a weird kind of comparison of the systems, but it sounds like you had a good time. Yeah, it was really good. Um, yeah, it was it was probably more fun than anything. Mm-hmm. And we did we did do some of that midnight. Yeah, well, shooting rabbits and fox. Yes, yes, with that. the spotlight. You know? <laughs> but that's a thing here. So I mean, everybody does that here. I, I mean, it's funny because I've done it countless times, and I've had a shitload of fun. Like I, yeah, I remember time. we 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 hunted a property that's probably a couple hours north of Adelaide, and in every trip we'd go up we do it we do a um you know a night of spotlighting and a not a light night of um kind of going out and seeing what's out there and you get a sense that it's kind of you can have fun but it's a task more than a hunt like so it's about cleaning up yeah the rabbits the foxes whatever right and i think the um any occasion feral cat and all that stuff yeah. but in terms of hunting it's kind of one of those things that i've just never felt comfortable with it, it i'll feels- do it it does. I think it feels weird for us because it's illegal in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. Like you just can't do it. You just can't do it. So I mean, you can do. I think you can do fox with, with spotlight because yeah. I know you can do coyote and wolf. Yeah. But um, yeah, but not rabbits. And it feels. I mean, it's certainly enjoyable. Like it's a lot of fun. You know, usually there's a couple of drinks involved and all the rest of it, and you know, everybody's having a good time. Yeah. But I think the the idea that fundamentally. You're driving around, spotlighting stuff, and usually the animal's kind of dazed, looking at you. And you're just shooting. And you're shooting. And again, it's to clean out the, the populations, yeah. right? And, and I don't know. For me, it didn't matter. I don't mind because I eat them. I, I think the big thing, I think that was weird for me because it was my first time doing that. I mean, we've, we've done spotlights for stuff, predators. Mm. That's a little bit different. Um, but, like, my idea of rabbit hunting is, you know, Wearing the red and black checker with the floppy ears yeah, and, and getting walk, your twenty two walking, walking around, around with your a shotgun shot, with a shotgun and yeah. a beagle. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's beagles it. running around stomping on the yeah. rabbit, rabbit nests and they go up and then boom. Yeah. So I guess in my mind that's like, oh, that's. I mean, but you could. I guess you could make the same argument that that what's done here with the spotlights isn't hunting compared to tree stands. Yeah. Well, I don't even know that it's easier because I've seen I've seen foxes. Foxes are. Or, or, or particularly as they get older, like they're real sharp to that stuff. Mm-hmm. Usually the foxes I've seen shot in spotlighting are typically younger. I mean, not all the time. Like sometimes you get a nice big dog mm-hmm. or, or a vixen that's, you know, mature. But most of the time, I think the smart ones kind of circle around and they kind of want to investigate before they come in. And, and look, spotlighting, and that's tough shooting. Like you've got to try to hit something that's you know, 200 meters away with a bloody light on it. And you're sitting on the top of a truck bouncing around like, having a seizure like the Parkinson ward at the fucking at the hospital, right? But in terms of the actual process, it they're just it feels kind of alien. But mm. it, look, a lot of guys yeah, do no, it. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it was fun time. and and I, and I I liked it and I'll, I'll do it again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but know? it's just weird. But it's like pig dog. It, it feels it feels feels interesting. Speaking of pig dog and I'm I'm keen to 
I've been three times. With so, life. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I went, because I, I hunt every year up in Cape York. Yeah. Um, with a, a particular outfitter here, who's a good guy. He, he doesn't have any dung. But prior to going with him, we went with a couple guys that had an outfit um, in another part of the Cape. You and give him a shout out if you want. What's this? You can give him a shout out. I'll do that later. Let him, <laughs> let him pay the sponsorship fees. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the um, the the other the other outfit I don't think doesn't exist anymore. But they said, "Oh, look, have you ever been pig dogging?" And I, I, at the time, I, I'd seen a couple of videos, and it just wasn't my cup of tea. But I, I said, "You know, I'm going to give it an honest shot. Like, let's go out." And what I found problematic about it for me, and, and these guys were really good. Like, they were very ethical in the sense that their dogs were fit. They were reasonably fit. They had very well-trained dogs that knew what they were doing. They weren't, you know, chasing other game. They were hunting pigs. The problem I had with it was it just felt to me like the pigs didn't really have a chance like to really were, get away. They were tethered to a tree? Like they were tethered to a tree. Um, because, <laughs> well, particularly if you have a big mob of dogs. So this, I think these guys had like five or six dogs. And so you'd find, you know, we'd be, we'd be driving around in a truck um, and, and all of a sudden they'd catch the whiff of a pig and then they'd start barking. The guy would slam the brakes on, the dogs would jump off, go after the pig. You know, we'd run for three or four kilometers at, and I'm not the fittest guy in the world. So I'm back about a half an hour trying to catch really? my breath. I thought you were a marathon. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> but these guys were fit, right? So they'd keep up. But what I found was when I finally caught up, you know, there'd be a couple of, what was it, lug dogs and bailers trying to bail this fucking pig up. And they were the one that were taking all the risks. Like when the pig had a crack at one of them because they had the leather chest plates and all that stuff so they were protected, but they were the ones that took the brunt, not the hunters, mm. right? Whereas if we're hunting a pig and we somehow wound it with a bow, right? We've got to follow it up. We're the ones taking the risk, not the dog. Mm. And also too, we didn't even see the pig when the dog smelled it. So it's not like we were kind of out using our skill trying to spot so the game. Go get them, boy. Yeah, it was basically that was it. But then that being said, there's a lot of guys up north that do it and they enjoy it. And my view is it controls the population. Um, it's just not my cup of tea. Mm. It, it's and, and I and I remember thinking, I've done it once. I'm happy I've done it. I was invited to do it again in the Northern Territory out of Catherine. Uh, again, I was doing some work up there and a guy knew I hunted. And it was right at the beginning of the dry. So it was still quite wet on the property. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of areas we couldn't access. But I, this other guy brought his dog. And long story short, the um, we wound up only finding one mob. And, the, and, this, and I was really surprised how efficient the dog hunters were. They had, what, half a dozen dogs, and they cleaned up a whole mob. I couldn't believe it. Because there'd be one that would bail it, grab the pig, the guy would knife it, they'd, the next guy would run, and they would kind of do it. And they chased this mob for what I thought was just endless kilometers. And I remember him saying, oh, yeah, we'll clean up that mob. But I'm like, nah, I don't bullshit. Like, it's not as efficient as a rifle, right? You sit in the back of a truck and you... So I went, that was a kind of a different experience again. And then I, I got invited to go again in the NT another time. And it was just a small little sow. And they kind of, it was in the property. It was it was on the kind of the main area near the house. And they ran after it and caught it and killed it and stuff. It's just not my cup of tea. Like, it really, I get why you need to do it. And I know that guys that are into it are hardcore into it and love it. I think it has an element of challenge that's missing. Like there's no real, you know, you're not identifying the game. You're not convincing that animal to stay while you stalk it. You're not beating it at its own game. Mm. It's a mad fucking rush. The dogs are barking, the pigs squeal, everybody's running. 
it's about as serene as New York City rush hour. Hmm. As opposed to, for me, hunting is much more about in the moment, focused, you're spending an hour on a, you know, getting within range, being within 20, 30 meters of an animal, it not knowing you're there, bam, you're done. Hmm. Clean kill, pig runs 30 meters, flops over dead. To me, that that's more the aesthetic and the kind of the vibe I get around a good hunt than... 18 kilometers from the fucking truck, you're vomiting, you're fucking driving because you're out of shape. Dogs barking, pigs squealing. You know, it's just not my thing. But again, I'd encourage you to do it. I'd encourage anybody to give it a go. I I just don't know if you're a bow hunter if you're going to get the same. But I thought, I guess guess in my mind, it's one of those things that I wouldn't actively go seek. No, no, no. Um, Like I don't reckon, like I wouldn't pay somebody to take me out to do that. No. But if somebody said, hey, we're going to go pig dogging, do you want to go? Yeah. I'd be like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, for the, I'd go once. And yeah. I don't think I would get any kind of morbid joy yeah. out of that. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's a bucket list thing. You yeah. know, I might want to yeah. take that off. I mean, I, I, I think, like you were saying, quite a large mob of dogs. Like I was watching um, Steve Brunel on Meat Eater, one of his seasons that aren't on Netflix here. Okay. One of the previous seasons, I've got all of them, and uh, they were hunting New Zealand. Yeah, and so he was with a guy with, and he's got two. Yeah, yeah, he just had two dogs. Yeah, and they have to hunt like that because the terrain's quite thick there. Like it's, it yeah. would be very difficult. You know what it reminded me of? That looks like Michigan. Okay, that terrain. Okay, all right. Really, really thick. Really hard to get through. You're not. But um, but I thought that was interesting, and that was a bit harder because, I mean, they had to work for that one. They had to dig it out. Mm. Yeah. It was in a hole. Yeah. You know, I got one dog on one end, one dog on the other end, and I'm yeah. just like, hurry up, get that thing out, put that thing out of its misery, yeah. you know? Well, well, so I guess for me, that's one of the things where I'm just like, I don't know. Man, it's, and that's, again, but if you talk, a lot of the Maoris do it. Like, that's a big kind of weekend thing for them. Yeah. You know, yeah. a couple guys go up, they go hunting, and they chase the pigs down. And again, so I don't have a problem with it. I can't imagine the meat's any good, but again, I haven't eaten meat from freshly dogged well, pig so I don't know but I'd imagine I know, the, te- the adrenaline would be going I know the the meat in the pigs in New Zealand is good I don't know about here but well I, I wouldn't eat them out of Cape York because who the fuck knows what's in there right I mean I, I honestly don't but but in New Zealand they're eating a lot healthier stuff it's it's kind of more berries and more fruit more veg and more yeah, kind of yeah. and I think some of it it doesn't get as hot yeah, because I think a lot of the diseases that they're getting up north. Well, tropical. Yeah. It's just because it's so hot up there. Yeah, and it's tropical and it's yeah. humid and all that. So. Well, yeah. I think the um the, the the thing that I I found with because um, I know quite a few guys in New Zealand. Yeah. And a lot of them that do pig dogging, they all eat it. Oh yeah. So. And it's funny is nobody up in Cape York eats the meat. I, I I have been I've met I've I've been fortunate to meet countless locals up there, particularly up in the Cape, and and, and they just won't even touch it. And the funny thing is, like, if you look at places like Germany, that's that's prized meat. Yeah. You know, like, people would you know, pay top dollar for that shit. Well, even in even in the U.S. Yeah. Even though they're a pest, people eat them. Yeah. So, you know? it, it, I just, I'm sure it's because of all the parasites and all the crap and all the disease and stuff. Mm. I, I certainly wouldn't take a chance. I don't, I don't think I'd feel comfortable eating pig out of there. Knowing kind of what I've seen them, like I've just seen them eating dead animals and fucking maggots and yeah, yeah. just I I just couldn't get there from yeah, like I but just I guess domestic pigs lead anything too. Yeah, but they're treated and they're not. You know, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a a standard of husbandry that they have to go through before yeah. they get to the market, 
and I just couldn't do it. Like, and I know that I remember somebody telling me once that 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 a lot of the pig doggers up north will take their pigs to the chiller, to the to the places that sell the meat and the butchers and all the rest of it. And, and I remember hearing somewhere I don't know if it's true or not that like eighty five percent of them don't actually get accepted. Yeah. So I know me, that's the same way in the U.S. as well. Okay. They don't all get accepted there either because okay. they they'll trap them a lot of them there. Yeah, I know yeah. in Texas they do a lot of trapping, trapping. Yeah. and um, they'll accept certain ones. They'll have a look yeah. at them, accept them, and then the other ones don't get released. They just get put down because okay. they don't want to release them back out. Yeah, of course not. Make a term into fertilizer or whatever. Yeah, so, so, I remember having a big argument online. This is when I was in my more provocative days, where there was a couple of pig doggers on the bow hunting down under for him, and I. I was probably a little less tolerant of the pig dogging back then. I think I knew more than I do now. <laughs> had much bigger ego. And I, I got a feeling that the um, that my view had changed because the truth is how you hunt's kind of irrelevant. It's whether you're ethical in what you do. So I've known more bow hunters that, that I've unfortunately seen do really dodgy shit, right? And I've seen pig doggers, again, only in the three, all of the pig doggers that I saw, while I didn't particularly like their style of hunting, they were very disciplined about it. So the dogs were fit. They were fit. So it wasn't some fat, drunk hillbilly chasing his dogs and then an hour later catches up to him while they've got, you know, a pig bailed up and, you know, and squealing and carry on. So they were able to keep up with the dogs. The dogs were also disciplined, so they weren't chasing you know, a wallaby or something else. They were actually focused on the game they were supposed to be hunting. My experience with those kind of animals was those guys were pretty good at it. Now, I've also been made aware of other pig doggers that were kind of have a different approach, probably a little less ethical. So they were you know, the guys that go poach a lot up there. You know, they'll drive, they'll drive the main roads and, you know, if they see a pig dog or a pig walking along on some property, they'll chase it down or they'll go into properties and but, but to be honest, there are poachers that use bows and guns as well. My feeling on this one is that the, the method's less relevant than the person doing it. And I think that's the bit, you know, we won't get into ethics now, but that, that to me is, that's another podcast brought to you by Dare. <laughs> Espresso cold press coffee with three natural ingredients <laughs> and a 300 mil. Yeah. Um, so, so you had a good ch- chance. Would you you'd go to the property again? Absolutely. Um, I've actually been invited back. Okay. Um, nice. Which apparently is a big, a super big deal here. Yeah. Pretty much said I can come back anytime I want. Okay. Um, right. So that was a pretty cool thing, and uh, apparently they they don't even let their family come out with them. So really, okay. even, even bigger deal than than yeah. I thought. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I'll definitely do that again. Um, Lovely. Um, I guess like, one of the nice things about not having seasons here and things like that is you can kind of go whenever. But yeah, I mean, I guess for me it's. When the freezer starts running low. Yeah, that's it. You know, that's it. I I tend to not shoot things I'm not going to eat. Some some pest control is one thing, but mm. um, like I don't I don't know that I would actively go up north and hunt pigs because we're not eating them. Yeah, I think that would bother me too I, much. It, it was an interesting thing, and we, we can start this new topic. Welcome to the Steve O and Goody Show, and the, the topic for today is <laughs> pest control versus eating the meat. <laughs> that's right. But I think the because um, I think your quandary was the same that I went to when I first moved here. I've gotten over it. For me, I look at particularly pigs up north and to a lesser extent goats here as removing the the mm. problem, the native pet or the, mm. the threat to native species, the pests. 
but also too there's an element of me that thinks particularly with goat like i need to take some of it out for meat like i like I, there's nothing better to me than a goat backstrap like it's just lovely mm. and if you cook it right or or, or a roast a back leg like there's nothing mm. you know slow cooking a, a, a hind leg over 10 12 hours yes, with yeah. the, it's just it's like it's lovely right There's nothing like it. It really is good. Um, but Australians here view it as kind of bush junk, right? That's kind of the just kill it and leave it. I remember the first one hunting. I was like, what the fuck? Like, are you kidding me? Like, we've shot 13 animals between five of us, and no one's taken the fucking meat? <laughs> like, yeah. are, are we kidding me? I mean, they're fucking... My, the voice of my grandmother, there are people starving in China. <laughs> right? and we've got all this fucking free meat starving children in Africa yeah that was my grandma yeah so it's like how do you not take that out I don't know man because if somebody didn't did that in the US oh fuck you'd, you'd be I mean you'd be pillowing. can you imagine going back to the hunt, to the archery store had a great buck Where's 12 that? point buck Where, oh I left, oh, they left uh, they cut the head off and fucking I got the head in the back of the truck fuck we could get back out and get that meat did, did you guys have names for guys that did that were you because you're you're from the east coast? No, not really. I, no, I'm sure there were. I wasn't aware of them. I, I had a different background, right? So, we call them we call them cityets. Cityets, <laughs> nice. We we call them cityets. The guys that go out there and and we'll, we'll be out hunting and we'll find a deer, right? The head chopped off. The head chopped off and maybe the back straps out. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. But nothing else. And you're like, mate, that's fucking meat. That's good meat. The you know, cityets, the flatlanders, you know, yeah. the ones who come north to come up hunting where we are yeah yeah where i live you know but you figure if you're gonna make all that trip you grab the meat like i actually wonder if those people aren't just the locals that want a big head so they see a big 12 point or big buck and they say oh cool shoot it i couldn't be fucked taking this i don't think i don't i can't imagine anybody coming up from fucking detroit saying i want to hunt out in the michigan bush and i'm not going to take my meat back i'll reckon that oh maybe i mean you know the scene better than i would it's mostly is it really that just seems like a lot of fucking it's flatlanders man it's the city. Okay. It's, don't get me wrong. There are definitely some solid hunters from down there that yeah. come and they do the good, the right thing. Yeah. But I would say that the ones that, that don't do the right thing generally come from. No, I'm not saying that there's not poachers. Yeah, yeah. No, there's you fucking know, there are poachers, poachers everywhere. Right? Try and beat them to their truck and get their license plates, mm-hmm. and and they're usually from down south or out of state. Okay. So what do they do? They just pick a spot and they don't have tags, or they don't. I I think that I think they're legally hunting. Just I, not I, on the I, property. I know most of them are legally hunting, even on the property. They're just not taking it. They're just taking the heads, and because it's not, it's not illegal to leave the meat. It's just not good. It's just not socially acceptable. It's not socially acceptable to leave the meat there. You know, pretty much every neighbor in every town I've ever lived in in northern mm-hmm. Michigan would have said, "Oh, you don't want the meat? We'll take that." Yeah. You know, because yeah. I I grew up, you know, we had big four big chest freezers and that was it, and it was full of wild game, fresh fish. That's nice. And That's lovely. We caught or killed everything. I don't remember us having a whole lot of store bought meat, unless mm. you know once in a while, but not very often. Mm. You know, even if we did have to buy, we we just call my aunt and uncle who had a farm and yeah, buy, half buy a half side of beef and yeah, and you know, and that out. was just kind of the thing. Yeah. So. But I guess that brings up the whole other thing of trophy versus yeah. meat hunting, you know? Yeah. yeah. And because uh, I know we have slightly different perspectives Just a bit. on that. Just a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm one of the few people that will openly support trophy hunting. And I, and I, and I it's funny because I cop a lot of heat. I've got a, a fair amount of friends 
who don't hunt. And in fact, even a subset of friends that are staunchly anti-hunting. So I'm one of the few hunters that I know hmm. that actually have a lot of friends that don't hunt or that are against it. Hmm. Um, and so I, and to me, it actually is. It's I good. probably do. I just don't care. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of hunters I know kind of say, well, fuck them. I'm not going to deal with them. Or I'm friendly with them, but I won't ever talk about it. Or, like, to me, if you think about what we do, what we do has a moral and ethical significance. It, it is the taking of a life. And if we think about what that means for us as individuals, like we have to constantly challenge ourselves. So we have to constantly challenge ourselves. And I think for me, having friends that don't hunt, having friends and people in my life that are anti-hunting keeps me honest, right? It, it helps me reevaluate that view. Because like I was saying before, if we get to the point where we are callous to the fact that we're taking a life, there is something wrong there. I don't know what it is. And I'm not suggesting that I'll ever get turned around. I don't think at this point in my life one of my anti-hunting friends will ever convince me not to hunt. But what it will do is I think make me a better hunter on an ethical perspective or on an ethical front. Mm. Not So getting back to trophy hunting. So I, I get a lot of shit from the anti-hunting crowd about how trophy hunting is horrible and it's barbaric and what kind of you know rich wanker asshole goes out and hunts for, for a trophy. And then I also get shit from a lot of hunters who say, well, hunting should be about the experience, about taking the meat. And if you're, if you're just hunting for a trophy, you're a wanker and you're a wall-hanging dickhead, you know, all that kind of vibe. Yeah. And for me, it's about the motive being analyzed. If I hunt because I want a big 300-point stag, provided I do it ethically, who gives a shit? Now, you could argue about the wasted meat. So let's say I go out and I get my big red, right? It's my royal red, right? And I've been fortunate. I've taken a red. It was an 11-pointer. It's a thin kind of... You've seen the trophy in the trophy room. It's, a, yeah, yeah. it's thin, but it's got the points and it's full. It was an adult and it was spot and star. My view is the biggest rush for me at the end of it was I've got a trophy that I can look at and remember my experience. I still remember. Mm-hmm. I can look at that trophy and remember everything about that hunt. I'm sure we took the meat, but it wasn't. that wasn't the priority. I, I, it, ironically, the, the meat came later and we kind of thought about all that, but... I can't remember where the meat went. I think I gave it to the, to the property owner. They gave you know, there was a guy that was with me. I'm sure I took the back straps. But the biggest rush for me was the fucking big head. Mm. Now, where trophy hunting becomes problematic is when that becomes the sole reason for hunting, and it be and it becomes a situation where the ends justify the means. Mm. I you can't hunt. So I want a big lion. So I'm going to go to Africa. I'm going to find a place that can guarantee me a, a big can, head. A canned hunt? Well, they won't call it that. They'll just say, we can guarantee. We've got 99% success rate, 100% success rate. And they can show you a catalog of cats that they've got. And it turns out that it's a thousand acre property with pens. They release it the week before you show up, right? They're trained to come when they ring the bell. And then you shoot the fucking thing. To me... If that's your yeah, idea, that's not hunting. Th- th- one, that's not hunting. And if you are so motivated by the trophy that that's acceptable, you've lost something. Hmm. But if your principal motive is that you want a beautiful trophy room with shit you've hunted, and you're willing to do the hard work, and you're willing to, you know, 
to put the work in and to do it ethically and to practice with the bow and make sure you're clean shot and do all the rest of it. I have no problem with it. But I think a lot of people, even even hunters kind of downplay it. Oh, no, it's not about, it's not about trophy. I'm cool if I get a trophy, but it's really about the hunt and the meat. Just say it. Just say I like the fucking head in the wall. Hmm. Otherwise, you wouldn't hang it. There's no problem with it. And I think for me, that's kind of where I probably differ from you because you probably have a different... I'm actually kind of right in the middle. Okay. I'm, I'm not anti-trophy. Let me start from the beginning. I was just listening to a Mediator podcast the other day. It was Stephen Ellen. I can't remember who his guest was, but he was talking about how when he grew up, he learned his spot in the stock and his marksmanship from shooting chipmunks. Okay. So did I. Yeah. Eight-year-old, ten-year-old kid, you BB know, gun. with a yeah. BB gun or a twenty-two, and you're out shooting, out shooting chipmunks, and and it's challenging. Yeah. yeah. But you learn how to shoot things on the run. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you learn how to lead targets and stuff like that. And so that being said, you know, he goes on to say that he won't do it again he talks about his kid out there and he's like i'm not going to tell my kid not to do something that i did but he asked me hey can i shoot that because he's you know a kid and he wants to shoot everything he can yeah of course no you know because mm-hmm. we're not going to eat him why are we shooting you know? i'm kind of on the same level with that in in the sense of i did the same thing you know i mm-hmm. shot chipmunks i learned my stock bought and stock i learned how to you know be quiet and get them to almost sit on me and mm-hmm. that's when i quit shooting them because it was just too easy um um but you know it's it's the precursor to squirrel hunting which is a whole nother thing that yeah, don't yeah, understand yeah. we were talking about deer hunting from tree stands squirrels will bust you before anything else yeah squirrels yeah. and blue jays yeah that's just it. shoot them all you know yeah, that's it. just hate them yeah <laughs> you know because they'll bust you quick and they tell everything you're in the neighborhood but um no i mean i guess for me like i would love to have you know some big old heads on the wall and and, you know, if you're going to kill it, you're going to eat it. And it was about filling the freezer because we grew up poor, and that's what we did. We filled the freezer, you know. I remember going out and getting catching a whole bunch of bluegills smaller than my hand mm-hmm. and, you know, we're eating. flaying them things out, and we were freezing them in big, huge bags. You know, it just take forever to flay them because it's just so small. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's just that's what you did for food, you know. Mm-hmm. And... It's a bit of a humbling experience, so I, I think, you know, I think we're all a, a little bit like the sum of our many parts, you know? Yeah. So I grew up poor, we fill the freezer, and that's what we that's what we live on. So that was kind of my idea growing up. If you're going to shoot it, you better eat it, or you better not shoot it. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of my entire process, but then, you know, I'd go over to my buddy's houses, and their dads, you know, their dads and moms worked, and so they had a little bit more money, and mm-hmm. they did a lot of grocery shopping, and... And you look on their walls, and they'd have these big old 10, 12-point bucks up there. Yeah. You know? And I wanted one of them so bad. Yeah. So bad. Yeah. But I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, but it won't be very good eating. They're going to be tough yeah. and straining. You know, I'll have yeah. to slow cook the whole thing or yeah. make it into grind or jerky. Yeah. You know? Because that's, that's the mental process yeah. that goes on in your head when you're, yeah. when you're a meat hunter. Yeah. Is you're like, oh, they're going to be tough. You want to shoot a younger one? Mm. You know? And then yeah. you get the, the trophy guys out there like... Don't touch them till they're eight years old or twenty yeah, yeah. years old. You know. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, because you can tell. You yeah. can tell how old that deer is. Yeah. Yeah. Show me. Yeah. So it's it's a bit like that, but like I wanted one, but I think that what really turned my head was actually when I, moved, when I was living here. Mm. Um, about being a little bit more in the trophy, not necessarily. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love heads on the walls, and if I had my way, and my mm. wife didn't care, which she does, they'd be all over the house. Yeah. I have them in every room because um, I love them, but. My dad passed away uh, a few years ago, and you know I spent all my life hunting with the old man. And I got to realizing, because you know I'm, I'm on a few, 
uh, field staffs and pro staffs for companies, which I won't mention mm-hmm. in this particular podcast. And um, one of the things is, hey, we want to see what you've done. And I'm like, oh, I don't even have pictures of my kills. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yep. I've got photos of my dad's kills but when he was young because it was a thing. When you're treating it like you're going to the grocery store and you go out in the woods, taking yeah. a photo of what you shot is the last thing on your mind. Yeah. And I realized, like, I've, I've taken a few photos, but who knows where they are. Yeah, yeah. I got nothing. Yeah. I've got absolutely nothing. I've, I've probably done, I've taken oh, well over 100 animals. I, I'm not going to speculate, but I know it's over 100 animals in my lifetime. And, and I have pictures from a couple weekends ago. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. But since my dad died, I'm like, you know, if, if I'd have had some heads up, you know, something to remember yeah. about our hunt... It's incredible. It's, it's an incredible thing. So, I, like, like you were saying, like, it's about the memory. I, I, I can, you know, it's funny because I, I can look at, I'm fortunate, I've got a decent-sized trophy room. I've, I've got... You have a gorgeous trophy room. <laughs> and look, I had, a, I had to negotiate that with my wife, and I won't go into the detail of that, but let's just say... She got a yeah, lot of stuff. Yeah, she got a lot of stuff, and yeah, there's a lot of shit I've got to do that I don't want to talk about on, on a podcast. But the upshot is the... Let's not... We should probably mention that you also used to live in Africa. Yeah, well, that's a different and kettle of fish. for a for a, a hunting outfit. So that's yeah. fine. Yeah. So his his trophy room is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> let me just leave. Yeah. It. So, but but for me, I can look at every single trophy, and 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 it and it brings me back to that hunt. It's actually quite an amazing phenomenon. Mm-hmm. So for me, did I hunt those animals, particularly the African animals? Because I didn't get any of the meat. The meat went to the locals. Whether yeah. it was it was an African community that owned the land or the farmer that owned the land, depending on where we hunted, so for me that wasn't the rush. Mm. For me, it was about getting the head and, mm. and, and and challenging myself to that particular mm. species. And so I've had a lot of interesting discussions about it. Um, I think what's interesting is the perception of trophy hunters as these kind of um, I don't know these kind of Mr. Burns type characters from, you know, these kind of wealthy psychopaths that want to have, you know, bears standing up in the corner and the big room. And I'm sure there are people like that out there. And I, I remember going to Safari Club International conventions in Reno and stuff, and you meet those people, and they certainly exist. But by and large, most of the people... Factory that, workers saving that, well, for 10 years. That, that's yeah. it. Right? The, you know, the, we, we saw a number of those guys. Mm. You know, I remember meeting a, a crew from... It was another hunting outfit. We kind of were on the same property together. And those were, you know, a couple of guys that were, I think the... I want to say plumbers, but tradies. And clearly they were successful, and they, you know, they clearly had a good business and were able to save up money. But, you know, there's nothing like hunting Impala in America. There's nothing like a kudu, right? When And I've... I've been fortunate when we lived in Africa, we lived on a property that was huge, a big chunk of land. And it was owned by a, a consortium of investment bankers that bought all of the farms that constituted this property, basically turned it into a preserve. And in order to sustain it, they allowed trophy hunting in to help generate revenue. And, and mate, there is nothing like a big male kudu from the middle of their rut, early morning, carrying on, and, and getting within range of those things is, is a bitch and all that stuff. There's nothing quite like it. So the the guys that would hunt those things for the experience and for the truck, they weren't doing it because they said, you know what? I'd love to have a kudu backstrap. What they were looking at was, I want to challenge myself and I want to take something home from that. Mm. And And I get the criticism that it can morph into that kind of 
Mr. Burns. I, I want a you know a full size tiger mount in my den, right? <laughs> and, and I gotta get that. But by and large, my experience is in that the people that hunted for trophies don't do it because they don't care about the animal or because they're, they're unethical. It's they're just differently motivated. So, I, you know, I, I think there's a chance for hunters to get real divided here. And really, it only benefits the antis. Hmm. Because if you're a hunter that bags other hunters, the anti side takes comfort in that hmm. and, and, and gets aided in that and, and, and gets a sense of, ah, we're on the moral cusp of winning. And we won't get into the, you know, the, the, the challenges that hunting's facing in the broader community and all that stuff, because I think that's, you know, that's a, a whole podcast in and of its own. Mm-hmm. The last thing I want to be doing is fucking having Animals Australia owning the agenda and, and, us, and us having that discussion. So if you remember the Cecil the Lion mm. debacle, I remember when I first read, read the, the story, I was outraged. Like, what dickhead would do that, right? Like, it was a, because again, the way it was originally reported, it had a it had a collar and it was on the, on this park and it was, you know, it, and this dickhead kind of wounded it and chased it down. In the end, what you found was, yeah, he wounded it, but they, they actually were doing the right thing by following it up, right? So it's not like they just shot it. No, well, <laughs> that's that. See you later. They followed up, and what you found that was it was kilometers away from the reserve. It was on a private park, which is the whole point of having those hunting areas outside of those parks as the parks get too populated with species and they start to move out you start to kind of manage those populations that as far as i know and again i you know it's been a while since i've looked at it everything that was done was perfectly legal and legitimate and actually made sense but the way it was reported you jimmy kimmel carrying on about it you know the press was just all over it and then you found out later that they've actually had to call scores of lions out of that park because hunters aren't coming anymore to hunt them. So they're being killed because you've got to manage the population. The only difference is now you don't have tens and 20,000, you know, US dollars at a crack, if not more, coming into those parks every time somebody hunts them. So, so you wind up losing the revenue and the results still the same. And, and, and part of that, though, was a lot of the hunting community went after this guy. The I can't remember his name. He's a dentist out yeah, of yeah. Minneapolis or something or whatever. And... They're still after him. They're, yeah. People I mean, are just hound him. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sure at the time when you first came out as a hunter, I knew a lot of people that bagged the shit out of this guy. And then all of a sudden, start, facts started to kind of filter through. You're like, wait a minute. this He did nothing wrong. And the fact that he wanted to hunt lion, why is that a problem? Hmm. Provided he did it ethically, which it sounds like he did. Hmm. He went through an outfitter. They got a permit. They took the tag, Right. And, and handed it in. That's how all of this got found out. If they weren't ethical, they would have just killed the lion, cut the tag, thrown it in a river somewhere, buried it, whatever, and nobody would have been the wiser. And I'm betting he's wishing that's exactly I, I, what I, I, There's probably not a day that goes by where he thinks, you know what, I wish I... I guess that's the question, and I think I'd like to see now more hunters come out when they hear stuff like this and, and, and just think, you know, think a little bit before they react. And it's hard not to, right? But Hmm. I've gotten into a lot of Facebook arguments and social media arguments with people. Again, a lot of my anti-hunter friends and and kind of what I call the the kind of the suburban non-hunter doesn't really have a problem but kind of doesn't like it if it's not, you know, they do the, oh, well, at least you eat what you kill or, you know, it's okay if you kill pigs but, you know, if you hunt hunt a lion or an elephant, that's bad but a feral pig we don't care about. 
And, it, and, and I had a really long kind of rant with a very good friend of mine from high school who's kind of staunchly on the left and clearly, well, probably <laughs> anti-hunter. Maybe probably, if he's not, a, if he's not an anti-hunter, certainly a strong non-hunter. And about, because he kind of, he posed the question to me, you know, you consider yourself a big game hunter. I think that's what he called me. And, and he kind of went, and it was when Trump's son had a picture of a leopard he had shot. And I think it was more a crack at Trump and his son than the leopard. But I, I came back and I said, wait a minute. You know, why are we trying to kind of analyze the motive of hunters? Because that was his kind of whole thrust. Was what kind of person would, you know, would kill a leopard and brag about it? Well, hold on. Let's think about this kind of more analytically. It's where that whole bit about I don't mind anti-hunters saying stuff like that because it, it helps me really think about my answer. Hmm. I didn't feel the need to jump down his throat. What I felt the need to challenge him on was, why is his motive relevant? Are you his therapist? Why is it, why is it relevant that we think about, well, what kind of person would do that? Why is that relevant? And they'd argue, oh, well, because that means they'd be violent toward people. And, and I've heard that kind of line of argument that, you know, the person, the kind of person that would hunt a, a leopard, kill people or get, be some serial killer in waiting. I mean, that's kind of the, well, the truth is no. The reason why he may have hunted that leopard was because that's what motivated him. Maybe he always wanted to hunt leopard and that was a challenge. He's hunted other animals. He's into hunting. And he said, look, I want to have a crack at a cat. Whatever motivates him, the animal that I've always wanted to hunt and I was able to is Cape Buffalo. Right now, what's interesting is when I've hunted feral bull and when I've hunted bu- and I've shown photos, nobody gets emotional, right? No, nobody kind of nobody quite. Well, why would you want to do that? Well, no, because we've anthropomorphized these certain species so that if they come up and somebody's hunted a giraffe or an elephant or a lion or a leopard, it's oh, you're a cruel, sick fuck. But if you hunt pigs, I don't hear anything about it. So. So I flipped it on him, saying, why is the motive important when really the issue is why is a certain species important to you as a non-hunter or an anti-hunter for you to get upset about? Because, again, I shoot a rabbit, nobody gives a shit. I shoot a pig, nobody gives a shit. To be honest, I've shot deer and posted the photo, and I've gotten thumbs up from my non- and anti-hunter friends hmm. because they know that it's an invasive species here and all that stuff, right? A big rooster deer. Beautiful. Beautiful. And yet I don't hear anything about it. But I guarantee you... Right. If I go to Africa next year and I hunt one of the big five or a giraffe or something that's kind of, you know. Or even if you shoot a feral cat here. Well, feral. Yeah. Because that's pe- yeah. people get weird. Yeah. Man. And the same thing with dogs. And, so, I mean, and, I, and I've knocked over a, a number of Brumbies, wild horses. And I've had a lot of people. And my daughter is an equestrian. Right. So I, I get the horse crowd like they get Fine. nutty. But the point is, rather than attacking the motive of the hunter. I challenge back on the motive of the anti-hunter. Why are you imposing your values on somebody else? And it comes back to, why is it important for you to criticize the psychology or the motive of somebody when, let's be honest, you don't raise it in every circumstance? It'd be one thing if he said to me after a guy, you know, had a picture of a bunny rabbit saying, Jake, why do you feel the need to kill an animal? And I've, I've, I've tackled that quite. I've had a number of people... Because that son of a bitch is delicious. Yeah, yeah, that's basically <laughs> been my thing. But I've had people say to me... Especially no, when I, they come back with a rabbit. Yeah, yeah that's it. Because it's delicious. delicious. My kids love it. Well, I remember there was a case, there was a social media incident. Oh, jeez, it's got to be three or four years ago. A, a really attractive Belgian girl, woman, in her uh, 19, 20, I'm not sure exactly 
I think it turned out that she hadn't actually shot the animal. What had happened was she was in an, with a group of people in Africa, one of the, they obviously with a hunting group, the guy shot the, I think it was a, a hemsbuck. Beautiful, which I've shot actually. I've hunted hemsbuck. Lovely, lovely, beautiful animal. Tastes delicious the whole bit. And she wound up posing with it, with the rifle. I'm not exactly sure why he'd bother, but it must have been a bit of a, a laugh, right? Like, ha ha ha, I shot this animal. It somehow got on social media. This fucking woman was pilloried. And I think she actually lost a modeling contract or something. There was some some financial impact to her. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, why is this an issue? One, that animal, right, wasn't endangered. I'm assuming if it was shot with a rifle, it was shot ethically. I mean, I don't think there's any evidence to suggest that they, you know, they gut shot it and watch it suffer. So it was quick and clean. And this woman's only crime was that she presented the photo. And I had a lot of people come back, oh, that she was bragging about it. Well, wait a minute. Let's assume for the minute that she hunted it, which in the end, I don't think she did, but let's assume that she hunted it. If you are doing something well and you're hunting it ethically and you achieve something, why wouldn't you brag about it? That's like saying, hey, I graduated from university. Yeah. And telling everybody about it on Facebook. Yeah. You, you, there, I guarantee there's nobody showing that photo of their graduation. Yeah, yeah death, getting death threats. And, and I remember having a really good conversation with a woman on uh, friends on Facebook saying, you know, if some hippie fucking vegan had cruelty-free tofu quiche that they won the first prize at a fucking Byron Bay Vegan Festival, of course they'd put it on Facebook. Hmm. So it's the same thing. And they've done the right thing. They've hunted it ethically. They've killed it quickly. Whatever their motive is, and this is what it, this is kind of comes back to my whole point about the anti-hunting movement, mm. and this is what I've noticed, is it's actually not about killing the animals. It's actually about controlling people. It's actually about those people feeling the need to monitor and judge the motives of others rather than the output. I've actually heard staunch anti-hunters say to me, well, if, if deer are a problem in New South Wales, because parts of Wollongong and others have really big issues with deer populations, we should just have professional shooters come in and kill them rather than letting hunters come in and enjoy themselves hunting. The result is the same. Dead deer. But, but their whole motive is, well, we can't have somebody enjoying it. Why? Why is that relevant to the protection of animals? What we should be saying is the hunters need to be qualified and trained, and I have no problem with that. And, I'm, and, and the minute I see a Yahoo out in the field that doesn't know what they're doing or is doing the wrong thing or, or taking pot shots, I challenge them. I, I absolutely, I've been on hunts where, you know, particularly bow hunts where guys are shooting way past their range and they're gut shooting stuff and you say, hey, wait a minute, you got to stop. Like you need to get closer to the animals you're stalking. And if you can't, you just don't take the shot. But to me, that's an ethical issue. I wonder, what, I actually wondered about that. Like, because back home in the U.S., we had to take, we had to hunter safety. Yeah. You couldn't buy a license without hunter safety. Yeah. Yeah. Here, you just send, fill out a form and send your money in, and you yeah. get you get you get a license. That's it. Yeah. You know, you you could be Joe Blow from next door who yeah. bought a bow off of eBay from China, and yeah. it rocked up today, and you're going yeah. hunting tomorrow, yeah. but you've never even shot a bow before. Yeah. You know, that's I have issues with that. <laughs> I think the challenge I've got though is until there's infrastructure to support a hunting industry, the concern I have with that though, and that, and it goes along the lines of things like. Do you need a license to buy a bow here? And in Australia, it's a very different regime hmm. with guns and firearms and everything else. But I think what you'll do is you kill the sport. So if you over-regulate archery, 
you'll actually kill it here because people will say, I don't yeah. want to have to get a permit and do an education course to shoot a bow. But I think to a certain point, I, I think it should be funded somehow or supported by hunting industry, whether it's sporting shooters or, or others that say, look, we strongly encourage you to take this stuff. Now, when you get a license in South Australia for a gun, for a firearm, you have to take a course. Yeah. And I think it's actually pretty good. Like, it actually yeah, makes yeah. sense to me. Yeah. And I know a lot of Americans listening to this would, fucking, fucking second amendment, I ain't fucking doing no course, <laughs> motherfucker. It, different regime here and a different, I think, different application. But uh, all, that being said, all those guys who are saying that yeah. have all taken hunter safety. Of course they would, yeah. You know, yeah. They are, well, they, they've they, grown they up with it. I think yeah. most people, most hunters in the U.S. I'd imagine, particularly in rural areas, have grown up with it. Dad taught them, grandpa taught them, uncles taught them, whatever. Brothers taught him, mom. So back to trophy hunting. I think I've, to- I've told you quite a few times that um, I'm keen to do the big five mm-hmm. yeah. with my bow. Mm-hmm. With a guide with a rifle yeah. on my shoulder because yeah. I don't have a death wish. I have a controversial view on that, by the way. But come on. Do you? Yeah. Um, you know, just in, on the off chance, I want to make sure that there's somebody yeah. around. And you got to win the lotto. And you got to win the lotto because it'd be super expensive. Yeah. Um, but I think for me, I mean, that would be that would be the hunt of a lifetime, man. I, I, it's funny because I thought a lot about it because I, I used to have similar aspirations, especially when I lived there. Right? You think, oh man, that'd be. I'm on the same continent. These fucking animals. Like, I gotta do it. I, I certainly don't distrust anyone's motives. I mean, my views. If that's, hmm. I mean, that's a fairly normal kind of aspiration. And there's a lot of guys, like in the U.S. particularly, that say, you know, I want to do the grand, the sheep grand slam or whatever. Hmm. Right. So it, ha- having an aspiration to hunt those species. The controversial view that I have is I'm not sure it's ethical to hunt an elephant with a bow. And I, I, I suspect that we will get lots of comments on this. Um, and the reason why is not because I'm against the elephant hunting. I'm, I'm absolutely pro-elephant hunting. I think you need to call the call the shit out of that this species. Because, damage. Well, they're 10,000-pound fucking rabbits, mate. Hmm. They eat and they fuck. And they knock fences and they knock everything over, right? So I think you've got to manage them. Otherwise, they'll get managed through poaching and habitat destruction and all that stuff. I think the problem is I have yet to be convinced that there's technology that can ensure a clean kill in all circumstances with a bow. So if you look at... Well, you'd have a hard time claiming a clean kill with anything. No, because I think you could make the argument that you can make a bow strong enough to shoot through a deer if it hits a deer rib, right? Because that's really what we're talking about here. If if, if you look at where you, you've got to hunt an elephant, right? You've got to the kill zone. Big kill zone, right? The problem is you've got ribs kind of spaced out through all of that. I think I remember reading somewhere that like a rib of a bull elephant, something like four inches fucking thick or something like that. I mean, I, I, I'm sure some biologist will correct me on that. But You're they're thick. So that's like a fence paling. Now, I'm not convinced that there's any technology that can shoot through that. Now, if you don't hit the rib and you just go through it, yeah, you can have a bow that can go through the skin, into the animal, kill them, and whatever. But I think if you look at the kill zone, you've got enough kind of fence paling in there, and you can't see where it is. So it's not like you can say, ooh, I see the rib and I can shoot behind it. Because the way the animal is, unless it's really skinny and malnourished, it, you're not going to be able to tell where you're shooting at. So you shoot at what you think is the right spot, the animal, and it could be a great, perfect, where you want it 
aimed shot, it could be absolutely outstanding. But if there's a rib behind there, you're not getting through it. And I don't care if you've got a 100-pound bow with a 1,000-grain arrow and a fucking two-blade head. You just ain't going to crack it. Or, or you may get through it, but you're not going to shoot all the way through it. And so you've wounded the animal. And if you think about the general ethical standard of you want to do everything you humanly can to ensure a clean kill. So that means you've got your equipment's working, your eye is shot in, you're practiced, you're comfortable, you've got, you're, you're fit to a certain level, all that stuff. All of that doesn't matter when it comes to an elephant, right? Same thing probably with a rhino, although they're slightly thinner skinned species, I think. And I think they've got a different, I think you can do green hunts where you do the darting safaris, which I think are just as challenging. Well, I, I like them. I think they're a good idea, right? Well, I don't like them. So, again, we can have that discussion. So I think everything else I'd have no problem with, right? Everything else I, I, don't, I wouldn't have a, an issue with. I think I'm just, until the technology gets better with bows, where we know that we could have the ability to, have it, that could penetrate an elephant rib if it hits it, or shoulder blade or something, I just don't know that it's, it's ethical to do it with a bow. I, I know I'm alone in that view, or a minority... Yeah, I, I think with a gun, absolutely. Four sixteen, mate, all day long yeah. and twice on Sunday, right? I reckon a, a pretty decent argument can be made against that, though. Maybe. Uh, I mean, look at. I've yet to hear it, but Fred Bear. Yeah. First white man to take a bull elephant with a longbow. No, I'm not saying it can't be you done. I mean? But but he didn't know when he shot that elephant that it was. He didn't know that that was going to happen. If you know what I mean, like he took a shot at that animal, and he was lucky not to hit a rib. I guarantee you. If he hit a rib on one of those animals or a bone, he, he, it wouldn't have been a kill. But if you hit the animal on the bone, if it's not going to bust through. Oh, you could wound the animal. So oh. it busts through the... Well, it goes through the rib. It sticks out. Animal runs off. Then you have a foreign object in an animal. What happens particularly in a hot tropical environment? Yeah. Dies. Rot. I mean, gangrene. I mean, yeah. it gets... It's yeah. septic. It's horrible. But at the same time, that's why you got somebody over your shoulder with a rifle in no, case that happens. In my view, is then use the rifle because I want to do the rifle. And I get it. And this is where the quandary comes, right? I get it. But my view is, and in fact, the outfit that I worked for. My opinion is anybody can shoot a couple hundred yards. Well, no, but, but as I say, with elephants, the guy that I I worked for, he had clients in Zimbabwe that hunted elephant. Yeah. And they used the four sixteen. And he said they were never outside of 40 meters. Yeah, you'd have to be close. You'd have to be close. Because those guns don't have long range, right? And also, too, the nature of the hunting is you actually, you'd be surprised how close you have to get anyway, just in terms of the habitat, the environment. Mm -hmm. So my view is you're getting all of the thrill of a bow hunt. Because what's really the fun bit about a bow hunt? Getting close. Let's be honest. I mean, the elements of drawing the bow and aiming, I get that. But the truth is the fun bit about bow hunting was getting close. That's the challenging bit. Well, if you're doing that with an elephant and you're 30, 40 meters, the only difference is you've got a tool that you know is going to fucking bust through everything it needs to get to. They shoot the fucking skull in those things with those with those guns. Hmm. So in my mind, I, I, I get why people would want to do it. I'm not convinced. Lions, got no problems. Cape Buffalo, Leopard, don't have an issue with any of it. Well, I guess at the same time, Cape Buffalo has armored rib cage. Not nowhere near a stick, nowhere near a stick. And you actually can, in a lot of cases, you can see what you're aiming at. So I'll give you a good example. So when I go for the Texas heart shot, I miss ribs all together. Well, the problem is, you know, that's a good question. I think the problem with those Texas heart shots is it's it, it's a it's a low percentage shot. 
you're off a little bit. What are you hitting? Pelvic bone. Ain't going nowhere. But the hole on an elephant's pelvic bone is huge. Uh, yeah. I, and if I, you're that close. Ugh. I mean, you could. But I think the tail sits over it. Right? I mean, you, you, you're, you know, it's not like you got an asshole just sitting out there with a fucking target sign on it. Um, and also, too, if the animal's off an angle, it, it can go different ways. I, Stop ruining my hopes and dreams. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> let, let me rephrase this. Go for it. But I think, but I think the, um, I, look, I, I like elephant hunting. I like the idea behind it. I'd love to, mm. to do it. And I'd love, you know, one of the bow companies to say, you know what, we've got some cam design coupled with new bow material on the limbs and string material that can produce enough force with, a, you know, a thousand grain arrow to bust through it. And I'm sure somebody someday will, right? If you think about it, it wasn't all that long ago that 300 feet per second was d- unheard of. Was unheard of. And now I think we're talking, I don't even know where, like 380? A- like a cheap bow is over three now. Yeah. I mean, what's the top bow now? I'm not even sure at the moment. Probably 360, 370. I think I've, I've got to have to check the catalogs. But see, I mean, we're, we're approaching 400 feet per second. That's not... I know a, some of those numbers are... Big yeah, they're inflated. Not, like, I, yeah. like, there, there's pretty tight parameters around that. But if you think about it, you know, you're not fucking dealing with slow bows anymore. So I'm sure technology will get there. But. Yeah, well, because I'm shooting... I shoot a 26-inch draw because I'm a little sucker like you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're a little taller than yeah. me, but um, I shoot 26 inch draw. I shoot 70 pounds, and technically, at 28, my my bow shoots well over 300. Yeah. So that's right? I mean that's fast. I shoot a 400 grain arrow, which is a pretty light arrow. Very light, arrow. And, and especially for up north here. You know, but at the same time, you know, it's it's not it's a light arrow, but it's only light because it's so short. You know, if mm. I were to be at 28 inches, I'd be yeah, heavy. heavy. Yeah. But at the same time, you shoot, shoot something like that, I, I'm probably not shooting 300. Mm. I got 26 inch draw. Yeah. You know. Well, you know what I'd say? Look, getting back to the elephant thing, I think if you really wanted to, do, okay, so let's say I don't want to hunt with a gun. I'm sure there's a way to construct a crossbow that would have enough force. Oh, yeah, they already do. They've, like, got, they've got 200 pound crossbow. No, I'm talking like a 600 pound fucking crossbow that you crank up that you can shoot a fucking lead pipe through it. Like, that will have enough force with a heavy enough object to fucking punch through something and go all the way. I'm sure you could do it, right? Again, I can't imagine how much fun it would be to shoot. But if you really wanted to do that, and then you'd have to get close, and you'd have all the thrill and all the rest of it. But Just borrow those pig dogs and grab a knife, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Lift it up by the back leg and fuck. <laughs> that would be, in, in my mind, that would be the closest thing to uh, the, the type of hunting that you would have to do to make me be like... Yeah, I'll trade this for this. I'm not going to go the other way. What do you mean? You know what I mean? What like, now? Oh, yeah, well, I guess you chase it down with the dog and I'll run up and stab that bull with yeah. a knife. Well, a, sa- a saber, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it's the way he's in there. But, um, you know what I mean? As, as opposed to, I'm going to put my bow down and grab a rifle, a giant rifle. Yeah, no, fair enough. Fair you know? enough. Yeah. And, I mean, I get it. I, I get why people wouldn't want you know, to but I guess, I mean, in in the same token, I mean, how many African tribesmen have taken bull elephants with their smokes? Of course they have. But again, their you know? standard's different. There was probably 30 of them all throwing multiple spears in it, right? So there was a video that came out yeah, years right, but ago. If, but if about I'm at 20 hunting. meters, mm-hmm. or 20 yards even, mm-hmm. with you know, a high-pound bow, doing everything that you possibly can to make it good and clean... And then you got a guy with a four sixteen behind you, 
just ready, just in case. Mm. Say, just in case it hits the rib to, to take that final shot to make sure it's clean. I mean, what? how's that different? Than I think the idea is then... And this is where the this is where it gets really ethically tight. And this is the this is the friction where everybody starts calling each other assholes, right? This is the yeah, bit, yeah, this absolutely. is the I insult your mother phase. See, I didn't even know. See, I, I've my been, view personally, I've been studying like the big five vitals and stuff like that for years because it's the dream right. hunt for me. I think the problem, but is I didn't then, know about the four inch ribs. That's, yeah, that's oh, a they're fucking. Thing. I mean, and they're never heard of that before. Yeah. Oh, if you think about it too. Just think about the animal. Yeah, they're huge. Right? I mean, they're fucking enormous, right? So I guess my view is if you go back to would you hunt an animal that you knew there was a likelihood you could wound it? Like for another reason. Like for example, hypothetically, would you hunt a pig or a deer or something? You had a guy that was with you that had a gun. So you know you could quickly clean it off. But you knew, for example, you hadn't really been practicing. Your eye was out. You had a bow you'd never shot before. You had a different setup and sight moved and you really weren't you hadn't sighted it in would you go and do a hunt under those circumstances even if you had a bloke behind you that could finish off the animal no of course not nobody would and why because in theory and in in practice but in theory you'd want to be able to kill the animal cleanly and quickly through the you know with through the means that you have the bow that you've had the tool that you have Mm. and you'd want to do everything you could to ensure that that was the case. And so therefore, having somebody back you up on an elephant hunt isn't the same thing because even if you do everything right, you are the fittest you've ever been. You've got a 100-pound bow with, with an arrow that has the tech, you know, the weight and the head that can cut through the meat and all that stuff. You still have a reasonable likelihood that you'll hit a chunk of that animal's body that you can't penetrate, even if you've done everything right. So would you walk into that situation saying, okay, well, I might wound it, but I've got something that can quickly clean it up. Like, it's good. It's a, it's a thoughtful approach. But the truth is, I don't know that you'd want to walk into a hunting situation with a view that, oh, even if I hunt it, I can fill it. No, you'd want to walk into a situation saying, I am as certain as I can be that if I shoot this bow the way I can, the way I'm capable of, all things being kind of right, that I'll kill this thing. The problem is all things being right, you may not be able to. Now, if things go well, you can. And there's been tons of people that have hunted elephants. I think Pete Shepley did, even though I think he wounded it and had to follow it up. I'm sure, you know, I think Cameron Haynes has, I think. I'm sure Ted Nugent has. Like, a lot of famous bow hunters have done it. Howard Hill's done it. I know people can do it. I know it can be done. But I question whether you can do it ethically. Because you don't know. You can clearly clean that animal up every shot I just don't so the ethical question of the day yes you know. yes why don't you pose that question now that there's a possibility of wounding it and the the, uh, the survey will be on our website <laughs> ethicalquestionofthedaycomau <laughs> that's all the time we have for today boys and girls we just want to take this opportunity to give you a quick thanks for listening to our very first podcast if you like what we do give us a little like and a subscribe we'll get some more stuff coming up a little like and a subscribe we got some more stuff coming up for you real soon. We'll be coming to Google Play and iTunes Store. So have a great day, guys, and God bless. Well, good work today, man. I think we can wrap up here. Welcome, welcome. <laughs> that didn't fucking work. Live. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by McDonald's. <laughs> Actually, it's not at all brought to you by McDonald's. <laughs>
McDonald's has absolutely no association with this podcast. However, I do like their burgers. Yeah, I do like a burger. I don't, I don't fuck around when it comes to burgers. So, the Steve Owen Goody Show. Are we tactical? Were we tactical? Tactical. Well, we learned how to fucking speak, Chris. <laughs> All right. <laughs> But we tackle yeah. the hard questions. Yeah. The hard hidden yeah, questions. Yeah, the hard hidden questions that are facing the hunting community. Like yeah. your mother. Like your mom, for example. <laughs>